Good morning and welcome to OSW Daily. OSW Daily, where we review current topics and discuss them with leading experts to get their views, opinions, and insights. Today, we're going to focus on co-working space and who better to have on than Mark Gilbreth. Mark is the CEO of Liquid Space. So there's a lot of content out there today that uh, all around co-working, partnering with hotels, uh, what is the future of co-working, uh, how is COVID affecting co-working, and what are the positives that the co-working industry is seeing. And, and as I mentioned, who better to have on to discuss uh, than Mark Galbraith. So Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for coming back. We had you on a few weeks ago, so I'm glad we didn't scare you off. Not at all, Steve. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning, and I have to you know, appreciate it. It is very early where you are, so uh, I appreciate you getting up and uh, and spending the time with us. So how have you been since we since we last spoke? Uh, quite well. I mean, it's, it's, it's anytime, any day, Steve, the sun never sets on work from anywhere. That's true. Ah, see, it's, it's almost like you had that little slogan just lined up there, man. I love it. Well, I love it. I, I, I didn't. It actually came to me 30 seconds there ago. You go. Warm up. So, there yeah, you there go. There you go. There you go. Here life, oh folks, we heard it. We heard it here first, you know. So, uh, so yeah. So, um, look, let's just get, get quick, quickly get into this, Mark, because there's so much stuff that we want to get through, and I think it's just so many jumping off points for you and I to really get going on this. And you know, hotels as offices trend is exploding. I mean, that's a that's a pretty profound statement. Is, are you seeing that? Is that what you're experiencing? Uh, we're certainly seeing. I mean, there's an explosion of, of headlines and experimentation. I, I think it would be overstating it to say that there's an explosion of validation around it. Right. So, um, and I think that the you know the the relative explosion of, of activity and headlines, it's probably it look it's a it's a new topic and so it's conspicuous. It jumps out of the headlines for us. Right. But um, there are enough interesting players of all sizes, from small boutique hotels to mid-sized chains chains to some of the largest brands that are actively experimenting that something's happening there so so why why it is it valid is it relevant i think it's intriguing I mean, first off we do need to appreciate the hotels are in um they they have urgency like you know the the persistent low levels of utilization in hotels are crushing i mean they're well below their profitability levels so they've got assets they're idle that inventory is perishing you know, yep. These are operators that are highly focused in understanding of maximizing rent per available room, <laughs> right? You know, so they, they think about economic occupancy, and they're looking for any port in a storm. Right. And one, one port that looks tantalizing, they haven't docked in it yet, but one port that looks tantalizing is, hey, could my, could my bedroom, my bedrooms, my, my hundreds of thousands of bedrooms with their private bathrooms with their good to great Wi-Fi, with the window and the task chair and the desk, uh, and the suburban and tertiary market location where customers can drive up and walk up a staircase to get to the room and not take a lift to the 50th floor. Does that asset, does that fit a need? Right, and, and I was looking before, before we got on market and, and um, I just a quick Google search on how many hotels are there globally. There's 700,000. So we consider 700,000 hotels to, let's call it 20,000 co-working locations, give or take a 1,000 or two either way. I mean, for me, that provides a huge opportunity for enterprises to provide a service to employees in their local neighborhood. Uh, absolutely agree. There's, a, there's hyperscale in that asset class that is largely idle right now. It is well distributed. 
If you look mm -hmm. at the pins on the map of hotel locations and cross that with the pins on the map of co-working and serviced office and, and landlords, it's far more diverse. It's far more reflective of the conversation today, which right. is people are working from anywhere, not not so much from the CBD. And so, um, so yes, uh, at, at a first order level locations, coverage, scale, all, all warrant a serious consideration by individuals and companies that are trying to solve for the dislocation of employees that's that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah, it, it is ready inventory. Will it will it be relevant inventory when things settle and in, in whatever the new normality looks like? And will the economics of it be something that hoteliers want to hold on to on the other side? Those are some of the larger questions that I think will take a little yeah. while to sort out. Yeah, and I do want to come back to economics. But one thing I did want to call out, because the article did go into great lengths to explain Industrious being partnering with many hotel chains. Uh, Proper Hospitality is mentioned, Avalon, and also mentioned of, of partnerships with MGM, the Mandarin, and Dutch hotels um, for the work from hotel concept. So, I mean, you would all naturally think that hotels are set up and have this inventory, this booking system all in place, but... Um, is are they going to the third parties like industrious because they have the software the expertise what do you think is the real reason for those synergies I think it's for the for insights into a new use context that's entirely foreign to them mm. um, they're not going to industrious for technology um, they're you know they're, that's not a source of, of a booking experience mm -hmm. I think I think what what an industrious could offer to a proper a little bit of peace of mind, a companion on a journey into a new context, somebody that underst you know, industrious does deeply understand that flexible office user, their, their needs, their pains. They also understand the hospitality motions, mm. the, the hospitality playbook of a day in the life of a coworker. That I think is invaluable. They've also got a client base, industrious does, that, that might be you know, a, a channel that they could redirect at a relationship like proper. Mm -hmm. um, but I say, with all due respect to Industrious, which is, I think, well postured to to weather the current storm, I don't think that there's um, a great deal of hospitality education that the co-working world can infuse into the hotel world. I think the better of the hotel brands are, are damned good at that. Mm. And if you think about the use case of you know, employee coming to use a hotel bedroom as a private workspace for a day with the ability to afford themselves of the other amenities in the property, whether it's the gym or the 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 lounge area to grab a lunch or, or the pool to hop into to refresh before you drive home to the screaming kids, like like whatever the playbook is, like that's the hotel playbook. Right, right, right. No, no, I, th I think the amenities, amenities in the bathroom, I think, are the great place. Now, I was curious um, about the cost, the economics, as you mentioned. And the article actually did go on and did say about, uh, discuss San Francisco rates for the hotel chains on what they charge per day, and it ranged from 134 to 399 per day. Now, 399 seems really expensive, but again, I don't know whether that's for the presidential suite or whatever that is, and obviously if you're having a high-end CEO meeting, perhaps then there's a need for that. Now, we compare that to what the hotel hotel chains were getting for per night back last year, and it ranged from 177 to 450. So it is a, it is a decrease, but it's there is a, it's not as much of a decrease as what I probably I, I personally thought 
134 if I think about what that would mean from a from a room comparing that to what a traditional co-working private office would be um, that seems I don't know what it is in San Francisco perhaps you know uh, yourself but it seems on the higher end to me I don't know whether that's you would sort of agree to that yeah so so breaking those numbers down a little bit because they are helpful um, you see that the hotel is going to market with a model of about a 20% discount yeah right uh, for the work context for the workplace use case yeah. um, and I think that's a peek at a peek into or a glimpse into the tension that's going to play here that's that is a higher rate even at that discount level that's a higher rate than workplace alternatives now mind you that hotel room's got its private bathroom it's got its lounge it might have a gym it's got a pool it's got amenities that most co-working spaces or Regis locations simply don't offer so uh, it is a premium workplace of that there is no doubt what's the what's the the alternate comp if i just go to a traditional co-working well i can probably get a day pass and sit in an open area in a co-working space in san francisco for 30 to 50 dollars you know right now with a click on liquid space mm-hmm. um, a private office for a day you know a one person 100 square foot office without a bathroom without a pool without a lounge without a gym without room service you know probably of like or or maybe slightly better wi-fi uh, in San Francisco, 150 bucks. So it is pretty comparable then. It's comparable at the low end, and I, I guess the, yeah. the, the question that will remain will be um, that 134 dollar rate. Right. Um, how long would they want to sustain that? Right. Like, is that is that a durable and long term rate structure that can fly? Got to remember the 177 to 450 range. Looking at data for pre-COVID for hotels. You know, we all know that that's a distribution curve that mm-hmm. that you know rewards. You know, you, you can't. They don't sell the hotel at all. They don't sell the whole hotel at 177, right? That's right, that's right. The, the earlier the late bookers. Right, right. So the, the, you know, their blended cost probably needs to be something closer to the two two fifty to three hundred range overall, and that that is that would be super premium as workplace. Yeah, and I sort of sorry, you're gonna. Finish. I don't want to interrupt you. Sorry. Yeah, no. Okay, so I was just just thinking through, and you know, from a someone who procures real estate, right? And someone who's looking after their employees. What is the emotional attachment to using a co-working space where you have, you're going to a provider who then has a, a relationship with the landlord and they have to manage the whole of the protocols and communicate that to you for your employees on how you're gonna manage spaces. We go through this environment we're currently in today. Do I feel more comfortable dealing directly with a hotelier who is living this every day, who practices, who is personally responsible for everyone going in, and I can have that relationship directly. I says that's a that's an interesting offset and an interesting way to sort of think about things as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, like, we haven't touched on the health and safety dimension yet, but that's an enormous one. You know, Stephen, yeah. you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. in the past. I mean, um, one of the points of friction that many CRE leaders are in workplace leaders are feeling because they know that their employees are feeling it is all right, to what entity do I feel comfortable allowing or even encouraging my employees to return? Right. You've got to, you, you and your risk team <clears throat> need to feel comfortable with the health and safety protocols, at least for the time being, for the next six to 12 months. And you know, hotel operators have been running at larger scale than any of the co-working operators, bar none, for decades, dealing with bodies in spaces and cleaning at scale they've been doing that you know for decades now they did they've had to learn the COVID playbook themselves but I think 
I think there's deep institutional knowledge and deep sort of process sophistication in those operators that mm. that um, warrant consideration. <laughs> I would expect them to be on par or better, uh, certainly on par, uh, just given the scale yeah. uh, of their operations. And do you think it's a long-term play? Uh, that, to me, that comes back to economics. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in the short term, they can bring supply to scale. They've got perishing inventory. I, I works. We, Liquid Space, are excited about that segment. We think it's relevant. We've talked to enterprises who say that, that it's relevant. So I think the combination of available inventory that can be uh, appropriately priced and rapidly deployed will make it a, a portion mm-hmm. of the place response to work from anywhere for uh, the next 12 months. What's less clear to me is whether um, whether it becomes an enduring part. And for it to be an enduring part, I think it would then need to, you'd need to, uh, hotels would need to go into a purposeful design approach for this, mm-hmm. right? And whether that's refitting or resizing spaces, like I, but I think they'll look to optimize the economics to make it work. Um, so that, that'll be maybe the next, the, like, 12 months from now, it'll be interesting. Like, yeah. like are hotels developing 30% of a site to be workplace as part of their intentional design plan to squeeze out that 30 to 50% of economic efficiencies right. that, the, mm-hmm. that I know that they're going to want? That that might, that might, that that would probably, there's a prediction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, and, and I love it. You know, we, we, you and I always talk about competition in many different ways, and I think competition elevates the product. And I think the more that we get in, then the, more, the, the better the product becomes. And then from an economics perspective, then the more price um, is built into that. Into that. So I, I do really love that. Um, all right, that was. One, that's, just, go ahead. Just one one other yeah. comment I think on on a, a synergy that does exist for the hotel operators. Like the the client that they're missing right now is the business traveler. Mm-hmm. And and she and he will come back, perhaps never to the scale it was seen before. But they've got that established client base. They've right. got those relationships with the travel departments and with the, you know, the, 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 you know, Steve Todd, the traveler that has his bond boy membership. And, and he's like, he's, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's a committed loyalty member to Marriott or to Hilton or whomever. So they've, they've, they've already, they're already serving that business traveler. And I think that they can play upon that goodwill and that brand trust. It does mean something. Um, so it's a ready, it's a ready base of customers to reactivate if they want to step into another need that Steve has, which is right. and, and And on that as well, right? So a lot of these hotel chains have relationship with corporations already for preferred rates as for a hotel, you know, for evenings and, and hotel booking, traditional hotel bookings. And is there a way they can leverage that also? So there's something else that just popped into my head based on what you just said. So um, awesome, man. That was cool. So moving on to, you know, will co-working studios survive COVID-19? And, you know, there's... A survey, March 2020, 14,000 co-workspaces, around 72% have witnessed a significant drop in the number of people using their space, and 41% have seen memberships decrease. Now, I haven't gone through the study. I don't know at what, what's the two-point of references, but does that decrease surprise you, or is it worrying, or what, what, what's your views on, on whenever you see those statistics? Uh, doesn't worry me at all, because we've got clear line of sight to the pattern that's emerging for, for beyond this current crush. Um, it's absolutely crushing. It doesn't surprise me either. Mm-hmm. I think it is real data. I think it's as severe as that or worse for many operators. Um, and it's crushing. Like it's gonna it's gonna destroy 
some operators. It's it's hard for the entire industry, and it's an interesting. It's it's not it's not irony, but it's an interesting kind of tension. Like the reality is, the flexible office economy is highly compressed right now, and the irony and the tragedy of that is, um, it is unequivocally going to be a part of the even more valued response to return to work mm-hmm. in months or quarters. And yeah. so, you know, so, uh, you know, it, <laughs> this is more of an emotional rally cry to, to, the, to our industry. Like, you know, hang on, folks. We, you know, we need you on the other side. Um, you know, be tolerant landlords. These operators are going to be viable. Don't judge them on their P&L for Q3. You know, judge them on the relevance of what they're going to mean to the market and your building, you know, in another six months. Uh, you know, don't kick them out right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the other the other statistic that was in there that I actually find quite surprising was it expected the market to contract 12.9% in 2020. That number, to me, was lower than I expected. I did expect yeah, I additional. Um, I would expect it to be higher than that as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of interesting. Um, and obviously, with this increased competition that we've talked about, that people, no one, no one ever seen coming from the hotel chains and so on and so forth. It actually, I'm surprised it's it's that low, and perhaps that has yet to yet to play into it. Um, but uh, but yeah, and also whenever we think about okay, the remote working we know is a much much higher level. I think more people want access to space closer to home, and I, I hear it regularly, um, be it from peers and, and other folks that I talk to in the industry. Um, and I think there is opportunities there, but people just are not ready to take that step just now. So, yeah, because they're not. I mean, um, many employers haven't yet encouraged their employees to leave the house, and many employees at an individual level are still unsure about that. And so, yeah. I mean, add add hotels to co working as this ready and available supply response when people do step forth. So, so I, like I. You, so the, you know, the experiments that an industrious runs or others might be running, I think um, there is early signal that can be gained, but um, the, 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 the tide coming back in, it's, it's not flowing back in aggressively yet. Like right. The conditions aren't ripe for that yet. You know, the, the, the early window on, on corporations starting to say, all right, it's time, is still end of the year, January. And there are a great many companies that have actually formally said next summer, right? So, it, you know, the, um, you know mid, mid-flow tide, you know, the Thames flowing back up to, to London, like mid-flow tide's probably going to be end of Q1. Mm. You know, the, 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 it'll reverse directions in January. Like, it'll start to flow back into new place. Um, but it's um, what's happening right now are acute needs. Right? You know, people with acute needs are solving for those problems. Right. You know, companies with acute project space or local hub or satellite needs are solving for those. Um, but the, the tide hasn't flowed back in yet. Yeah, no, and it's 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 a great segue uh-huh. into um, into our next piece of content I want to talk about because it's you know how COVID nineteen. Uh, proves a great opportunity, right? And that's what we, sort of we were coming to. And I want to take some quotes that from Kong Wang Long, co-founder and chief commercial officer at JustCo, which is a co-working location based in Singapore. Um, Isolated workers lack the emotional support provided by person-person interactions that occur in the office. Lethargy and angst are setting in for many, with the latter being a particular concern given the global economic decline. So I think what we're saying is, you know, there is a desire for this 
we may not be seeing it just here, but I think perhaps in Singapore, what 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 they're witnessing and what they're seeing actually is there is a desire and actually there's a need and people are actually starting now to engage. So there is upside, there is opportunity, and there is if we want a shining light for this for this uh, market segment. Uh, absolutely, um, people's human needs have not been well served over the last incredibly right. stressful nine months. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, um, they're human needs. I, I'm, I'm not convinced, and in our hundreds of conversations with workplace leaders, I think I see acknowledgement that uh, that solving those human needs of employees as part of their total well-being. Mm-hmm. And remember, like there's work and there's life. The total well-being of the employee has both those spheres. Until nine months ago, we didn't give a whole lot of consideration to the life side of things. We we built office palaces to serve them to serve the work need. Those palaces are closed. The employees are at home. The employees are living with the totality of life now. In the total equation of their life and their well-being, their human needs are not being well met because they're isolated. We are, right. we, are all, we are all living through PTSD right now. Uh, I'm not convinced that the work environment is the only place or even the best place for them to rebalance with their needs for personalization and human interaction. It's a place where yeah. we socialize. And, and some work needs social interaction, collaboration and project work, for sure. Right? But I think it's a leap too far to say that the reason why people will come back to work is because of their social needs. I think that overstates the reality. And people will come back to workplaces with others when they have to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They'll come back. Some, a, a great many, a meaningful amount, will come back to workplace and enjoy some of the socialization as part of their overall well-being. But a meaningful number will also have found that they can work from anywhere. And the solitary work that they do, the environment might be better when they can choose it. And they may choose something other than a traditional office. And they may solve for their human needs through other interactions in local community and not look for that out of their work experience. Yeah, in many of the conversations I've had with my peers, it is a case of social is the reason why people want to go back to the office, why they want to re-engage in, in, in the workspace. Uh, however, most perceive the productivity for their heads down focus work is done best at home yeah. with, with an understanding that there are some, obviously the home environment doesn't allow that, so therefore there is alternative spaces that are by looking for. Um, and the next piece of content that sort of I'm going to put up in a second states that only 11% of employees actually say that their workspace is designed optimally for them to be productive. So because and it's, it's part of it is understandable because that workspace is there for, you know, bit three, four, five hundred, five thousand people, whatever it is for everybody to be there, where whenever we have the flexibility to choose the location that we want to work in then we will select the right place for us to do a specific activity. One of the benefits, I think, of a program that does provide that flexibility is if you know you need to do this head down work, then you can select a location that actually provides you with that environment that allows you to do that. But then if you want to be in a social, interact with other people and do that, then there's alternatives for that as well. Um, yeah, like we've we've long proselytized about the you know the benevolent tyranny of the commons like the benevolent tyranny of steve todd the global workplace leader who 
you know, built environments that he sincerely believed that, that were good, that are great, great yeah. environment. Yeah. But they're normalized to the commons and they overlook the, they, you know, they, they're well-intentioned uh, and they're great environments, but they overlook the reality that every human is unique and every human's environments are unique. And, and um, look, I think the dust has settled on this great experiment of the last six months. And, you know, productivity stayed healthy. <laughs> Commitment of employees to do work is unscathed. Company cultures have continued. They're, they're different. Like, mm-hmm. they, you be ignorant to assume that company cultures aren't affected by how we're recalibrating and redistributing. But they're still, you know, NASDAQ still has a company culture, right. a vibrant one. Right. And, and the conclusion we draw is like, you know, work from anywhere won the day. And, and we think work from anywhere is going to win the decade. Um, and choice, as you were arguing for or hypothesizing, yeah, we think choice to employees to solve for workplace a portion of the time, maybe not all of the days of their work month is is going to be forever more with us and and we'll be better off for it and you mentioned culture and and one of the one of the big inhibitors or fears if you want of accessing these networks allowing employees to go and work from anywhere is the fact that they're not coming to an office they're not congregating with other employees within that company and therefore there's fear the culture gets diluted how how would you respond to that I think it's an important and sincere topic, and I don't want to be dismissive mm-hmm. of some of the people that are voicing that concern. Like, you know, the, the CEOs and the chief people officers, managers, they, they need to be, they need to be, they, they should be worried about that. Right. They, they should be, they should carry, the, they should carry the tension on that because they are, you know, the CEO is accountable for the culture of a company. But, but to, the, to many of the people that are, are making that argument, I'm a little more dismissive. When I hear the broker make that argument, or the building owner make that argument, or the architect make that argument, I, I can't help but think a little bit that they're arguing for the perpetuation of their pocketbook. Like they, they need that to be true. Hmm. They have an unavoidable economic bias to want to believe. So, 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 it, so it, rings, it rings a little hollow when I hear it from some roles. Hmm. So the CEO should be terrified about it and should be hyper attentive. Um, but look, dude, you, you, you know, you and I don't work for the same company, but we're interacting. We're, we're like, right. you know, we're building, we're, we're deepening. Every time you and I chat, we're deepening our relationship. Yeah. That that's culture, man. That, that, you know, and, yeah. and technology and the extraordinary ways that we can touch and interact and share and, you know, get, <laughs> get naked metaphorically. Like, like that's, that, that builds relationship and community and trust and bond. And that is culture. Right. So, um, what the CEO should be worried about is that interaction falls away, and it's not. Now, now, you know, six hours of Zoom calls or eight hours of Zoom calls a day may not be a sustainable type of interaction, but it sure is intimate. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as having a beer at the pub after work, but it's it's intimate. It is more intense in some ways, and so I think we're early into solving for the 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 healthiest and the best way to have the the level of interactions that we want, but I don't think we're suffering for communications at the present time. And culture is born of rich communications and interactions and sharing and trust and exposure. So I think culture's not dying. It's just gonna it's gonna adapt. The way it's the way it's cultivated is is adapting. Yeah. That's part of the experiment that we've seen play out. And it's you know, it's um, a new stressor comes into the system and and the organization adapts around it. No, it's a great way to sort of 
sort of finish up because I think that's really important. I'm glad you made the distinction because it is important to, to, to understand and accept those. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that I've always had to be reminded of. Who, you know, it's the question behind the question. It's the story of who's saying what, what's the objective. And it is important that uh, we do understand that, you know, that culture is innately important for the organization, those within the organization. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a great way to think about it. Yeah. Indeed. All right, Mark, look. It's been a great conversation as always. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you for making time for OSW today. Uh, folks, if it's your first time coming along, do please uh, subscribe to the channel. Do reach out to Mark. Uh, do go have a look at liquidspace.com um, where you can find all your, your co-working locations and all, all your needs can be there. Um, and uh, yeah, Mark, you're the guy. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Stay well. Cheers, you too, mate. Thank you.